Good day and welcome to the Cincy Slangin' Bearcat Basketball Podcast. I'm Coomer, joined as always by Hummer. Hummer, what's up, buddy? Contrary to what most Bearcat fans thought Sunday, today is a great day to be a Cincinnati Bearcat basketball fan. Ladies and gentlemen, we have a wonderful guest coming in to talk Cincy Hoops with us. We have Matt Norlander. We'll get to that in a minute because we have a game that, frankly, I don't really want to talk about it, but we have to. Uh, Hummer, I'm the exact opposite. I want to talk about this performance against Houston. Look, we talked a couple weeks ago about the last stretch of the season. Seven games to go. We wanted to see the Bearcats go six and one down the stretch. And we knew that we, we knew the game at Houston was going to be tough. This is a team that, frankly, outplayed us for about three quarters of the first game at Fifth Third Arena. It's an extremely physical and extremely big team. Chris Vogt, a few of our players have really a tough time matching up with this team. But then we went and we dropped the home game to Central Florida, which made this game much more important to our program. Now, I still think we can make the tournament even with losing at Houston. And Joe Lenardi's bracket, bracketology, Jerry Palm, everyone else would show you that we're still very much on the bubble. We're in the conversation for making the tournament. My problem and the concern I have is that the lack of effort, grit, and determination in this game was depleting. It was tough to watch. It was the first game all season where I had the urge to turn the game off before it was actually over. It it did hurt sending that that text to you and be like, I don't know if I'm going to finish this one. <laughs> uh, somehow somehow we managed. The effort level is just horrific. If you, in it shows the stat lines. Defensive rebounding was was just awful. We gave up 22 offensive boards, and Houston every time a ball was in the air, they had you know two three guys just crashing the boards, jumping around, fighting for loose balls, swimming on the court to get loose balls. Yet we're shoot we're throwing a shot up, and we're just or even they're shooting, and we're just standing around. A lot of ball we're not watching. Crashing the boards. A lot of ball watching. I I think that those 22 offensive rebounds. They're, they're a, they demonstrate, they, they capture the fact that we have a problem. Scouting Houston, you know going into that game, this is a top five offensive rebounding team. They get after it. The shot goes up, you, they might miss. They're going after it to get another possession. You know going into this game, defensive rebounding is our number one priority. Yet come game time, we don't execute at all. We're not diving on the court as hard as, as and as fast as Houston is. You don't see gang rebounding. Everybody's not crashing the boards. I thought Chris Vogt did a good job early on battling, but it's not. It's still not good enough, and it's not consistent, and it's not sustained enough to win a game at Houston against a team that rebounds and gets after it like this. We defended Houston well, Hummer. We held them to 36.4% shooting in this game, they only shot 32% from the from three-point land. All in all, really solid defensive performance. I thought we forced them into some, into some looks that, frankly, were are what you're rooting for as a defense. Yet we gave up 22 offensive rebounds, 
They outworked us. They outplayed us. They outhustled us. And we lost by 13 to show for it. Yeah, some other stuff that that's kind of just, you know, irking me at the moment. And and I know I was kind of going off on a little bit of a rant on this this earlier. But the play of Jaron Cumberland, you know, he had to stretch right right into the end of January where he was we were starting to see Jaron. We were saying by the dip, you know, we're we're going sky high. He's he's starting to hit that twenty point average that we're looking for. But then, you know, February 9th rolls around. We beat Wichita. And now we're now we're in there, and he is just he's struggling to feel like he's struggling to score the ball at times. He's struggling to define what his role is, whether he wants to be an offensive creator or a scorer. And sometimes it's almost like he's afraid to be too selfish. You know, I actually want to see Jaron Cumberland taking twenty shots a game. Seven shots is is too little. And you know, to go one for seven, if you get twenty and you get six of them, that's doing a better service because once he only had four assists this game, it's not like he was being that creative. He had a couple really bad turnovers. That one pass in the first, I think it was the first half, second half, I don't remember, but it was to to uh, on a breakaway with Trey Scott in the corner. Trey Scott, even if he's, he's even if he's yeah, even if he is open there, that pass does nothing for you because Trey Scott is nowhere near the basket to score it. Yeah, the decision-making is still lacking. He had four turnovers in this game, which is actually down from his recent stretch of games where he had six six turnovers, seven turnovers. Jaron Cumberland, I should say John Brannon, made, made a big change mid, mid-season to put much more credence in the idea of Jaron Cumberland running the show. The ball needs to be in his hands. He put the ball in his hands, and Jaron Cumberland is going. Our offense is going to live and die with the decision making of Jaron Cumberland. And since that stretch uh, against SMU, Houston, Wichita State, where he was out of his mind, clicking on all cylinders, the offense seemed to be humming. The ball was popping, back cuts, dunks, open threes. I mean, things looked really, really good since that game. And it's a game in which he tweaked his ankle. And since then, there's been a couple other you know, minor injuries here and there. And it's rumored that he's dealing with uh, plantar fasciitis as well. We cannot deny the injury concerns with Jaron Cumberland. But since that game, it's been it's been a tough, tough... It's been tough sledding for Jaron Cumberland, to put it nicely. He, he doesn't seem to have a great feel for when to be the scorer. He isn't getting into the lane at a clip that is necessary to really break down a defense. Too often... We're passing it around the perimeter right now with no creativity. We're settling for contested jump shots on the perimeter. You know, even in the first half when we were succeeding, it was on the on the backs of Trey Scott and Keith Williams making really tough contested two-point jump shots. Houston was happy we were taking their shots. We weren't creating efficient offensive opportunities for ourselves in this game, and we haven't been doing that recently. And it's true. This team goes as Jaron Cumberland goes. So I completely understand your frustration because as he started to dip and as his level of play has started to dip, so has the Bearcats' results. And we still have an opportunity here down the stretch to turn the season around, to get the wins that we need to make the tournament, and to, to actually make noise. But he has to reach a level that he has not been at now in, I'd say, six or seven games. And I'm starting to wonder if he has it in him to, to reach that, that level again. Yeah, and I'm, I don't want to sit there and harp on attitude or anything because, look, ninety I feel like 90, 95, 97% of all the plays that Jaron Cumberland makes, he's in it. He he has the effort level. 
But then there's just the ones that kind of just they. This is what really irks me. You'll see him throw up a contested three, and then he just walks away from the play, or he just stands there and puts his head down when he misses the shot, or a, a foul call doesn't go his way, or the foul call, or, or the another teammate doesn't score the basketball, and you see it kind of like start to sulk, and it's almost like that attitude, those little things are contagious. And it seems like that's the way the whole team has almost been playing. It, it's going back to even probably even early issues when when it came to the referees, and it was like you know almost playing with that poor me, begging for a begging for a call type mentality, instead of just going out there and hustling and winning the game, you know, going out there and making plays, you know, going out there and, and doing what Jaron Cumberland does, which is frankly drive the lane and collapse the defense around him and throw the ball out. Well, I think Jaron Cumberland's really tough to do the body language doctor thing on because he's always been an enigma. He's difficult to read on the court. I think it's, I actually think the decision-making, the tough turnovers, throwing the ball down court when you really shouldn't, uh, going for, for home run plays when you, when you shouldn't, I think that comes from, a, from an insane, insanely high confidence. I actually think his erratic decision-making comes from being so confident in his game that he thinks he can make those difficult passes, that he thinks he can make the tough step-back jump shots. The problem is he hasn't been able to consistently deliver that this season. Passing-wise, he's made brilliant plays. The bounce passes, full-court bounce passes, you know, over-the-shoulder dump-offs to Chris Vogt for dunks. He's made, He's been exceptional from a creative standpoint. Scoring-wise, there has not been a consistent ability to get separation, um, or, and just to score at a high level. And, and it was what we expected going into the season. It was one of the reasons we were both so bullish on this team. Well, another player, too, you're talking about scoring, and the, and the play has just dropped off immensely. One thing I, I'm going to say about this player, Chris Vogt, you know, for everything else that's going downwards, I guess you could say, one thing that is going up, which we need to see more of, not just from him, but the whole team, frankly, the reboundings. He had an okay rebounding game. For, for what we saw, but his his play, I think, has gone downhill. Uh, and I think you have a, a hot take, if uh, if I'm not mistaken, when it comes to Chris Vogt. <laughs> Put me on the spot. Look, I'm not sure I'm ready to go this far. I'm not ready to go this far. I'm not going to do it, Hummer. I'm, you're not going to suck me into saying this. I've been impressed. I should say this. Chris Vogt is being scouted incredibly well. The American Athletic Conference has learned how to defend and to negate his strengths, which is finishing when he's really close to the basket. You do that by keeping him away from the basket, by making him catch it just a little further away. A couple dribbles allows a double team to come. It throws off the offense, and he's not as quick with his decision-making as he would need to be to counter the double teams that are coming his way. That said, if he's unable to be as big of a threat in the post as the Bearcats really need him to be, he's definitely not the level he needs to be on def- on defense. We know that. He's not a great rebounder. In some ways, it sounds crazy, but Mamadou Diara has a skill set that might better fit the team we actually need to be down the stretch. So yeah, did I kick around in my head the idea of giving Mamadou more minutes <clears throat> and maybe starting? Uh, I'm guilty of having those thoughts. I'm not ready to go there. But I do think Mamadou getting more minutes is interesting. Uh, he's not a consistent decision-maker on the court. 
He he has lapses too often on both defense and offense. But look, he does things. He he just makes he makes plays that kind of shock you. He can hit a three. He has more range. He is extremely athletic. He can test shots defensively really well, and he's shown some prowess rebounding as well. One thing that's killed this team, and we have to mention it, Jay Sorolla quitting on the Cincinnati Bearcats this season had huge and lasting implications, and it hurts. It's tough. Jay Sorolla quit on the Bearcats. I know he went abroad to, to make some money professionally, and there honestly might be family reasons for doing that. It had a huge impact on our season to lose a big body when Chris Vogt is struggling like he is on defense and re- rebounding, and Mamadou Diara is not really ready to play more than, than 10 to 15 minutes a game. I mean, and, you know, just so the lack of effort, the lack of defensive rebounding, the lack of depth, you know, what we're really just saying is, look, Houston's a really good team. You know, we'll, we'll be discussing that with Matt Norland. They're a really good team. They have a lot of good athletes. They're big. They play defense. Great energy. So, look, there's still a lot to look forward to with this season. It is March, and it is time to discuss the Bearcats prospects for March. And Hummer, Coomer. let me make mention of one more thing. I remember the Bearcats taking an extremely tough loss on the chin on our home court against Houston. We bounced back from that. They talked about it in the last game. Cronin had to threaten tryouts. We bounced back from that, went on a run in the conference tournament, and beat Houston in the AAC final. We could do the same exact thing this season. Boom. Let's get to it. We are now joined by Matt Norlander, senior writer at CBS Sports, co-host of the Ion College Basketball Podcast, and leader of the cult of Norlander, our Osho. Thank you for joining the Cincy Slangin' Bearcat Basketball Podcast. Uh, it's, it's my pleasure to be on, fellas, and I'm, I'm sorry that we couldn't be meeting under happier circumstances given uh, the events of Sunday here, but... There's still hope for Cincinnati. It's a pleasure to be with you. And uh, yeah, how are we doing over there in, in the Queen City and Bearcat, Bearcat Nation, if you will, uh, in what's been a season certainly of ups and downs and obviously uh, in the immediacy here, uh, the loss being understandable given the, you know, the tragedy that befell John Brandon's family with his, with his father passing from ALS. It was a heartbreaking week for the Brandon family and for the Bearcat community. Really love seeing the fan base rally around him and his family. Uh, but on a, just a tough, tough week for everyone involved. And our thoughts are with the Brandon family. Yeah, no doubt. Um, all right. Well, so where do you guys want to take this thing? Because, you know, I've, I picked you to win the American. That's not really working out for me. I picked Providence to win the Big East. Not really working out for me. But only, what, one game behind in the league? It's just a matter of can you now. The Houston game was so huge. But uh, what's on your minds? What do you want to chat about? Well, the reason we, we you jumped out at us uh, early this early before the season, Matt, is the fact that you were so bullish on the Bearcats. Um, obviously, before the season, you picked them to win the American Athletic Conference. Let's just to, to have some context. What was it before the season that made you so excited about this team, given that there was a new coaching staff taking over? Because um, I still like the pieces, and I thought that Cumberland was going to be, I thought, I envisioned that Jaron Cumberland was going to be not necessarily the National Player of the Year, 
But, but when we got to the end of the season, he would easily be in the conversation for first team All American. I thought he was due to have a huge breakout in that way, and uh, it just it didn't happen. But I did have uh, a lot of um, belief in Trey Scott. Defensively, I thought the team would still be pretty good overall. Now Brandon did not had did not have um, elite def- defenses, but I still thought the personnel was good enough. And I I was a seller on on Memphis in general with the healthy Wiseman and everyone. I thought that it would actually going to be Cincinnati, maybe being a game ahead of Memphis overall. And Brandon was, uh, he did a lot of good damage there uh, when he was at NKU. So you know, he didn't have to move. He was the rare coach where you get a job, you go from a mid-major to a major, and you don't have to move. You don't have to leave your house. Um, so I just thought, you know, just in terms of the day-to-day logistics, they would be able to maintain that. It didn't work out that way, obviously. Open up, you know, against an Ohio State team that was even better than people expected. And obviously Cumberland and, and Brandon had some of their issues early on, uh, which they seem to have uh, somewhat gotten past. And then, yeah, just... It hasn't been as good of a team offensively as I expected it to be. And I, I certainly thought they would have, well, I know the the makeup of the team wasn't um, offensively super dynamic. It was still a fairly good offensive team in recent seasons under Mick Cronin. It's been worse than that this season, and that was not something I anticipated. I think the the biggest surprise to us, and we were very bullish on this team before the season as well, and it all had to do with the fact that we had Jaron Cumberland returning. And Bearcat fans are used to the, used to the four-year player taking a huge leap his senior season. We saw it with Kenyon. We saw it with uh, Sean Kilpatrick, Steve Logan, Gary Clark. Over the years, we have lots of four-year players who take a massive leap their senior season, and it leads to great success. Unfortunately, that just didn't happen with Jaron this year for a multitude of reasons. Injuries, health, new system. And uh, we still have time to bounce back from that. So given where the Bearcats are now, coming off a tough road loss, what, what do you see? Do you, do you think it's possible for the Bearcats to make the NCAA tournament without winning the conference tournament? Let's break this down here. All right, so absolutely have to win the two games to finish out the regular season. At South Florida, not a gimme, obviously, but you got to win it. It's it's a loss where if you take the loss from a resume perspective, it's somewhat understandable, but it is a it's just another ding. This is how, and this is why, and I, I'm sure plenty of Cincinnati fans are aware of this, but it's like when you lose to Bowling Green in November, you, you can't afford to lose at South Florida at the end of March if if you're going to take your losses where expected. And like Colgate. It's probably going to be get to the tournament um, as an auto bid out of the Patriot League because it's the best team in that league by far. So it's a tournament team, but you can't take it on your home floor. That's the issue with Cincinnati. It's just it's taken too many random scars that it just couldn't afford. So you got to win at South Florida, got to close up and win against Temple. I don't know where. So I guess if they did that, if they did that. They, let's just say they're the three seed. Although I don't know what their tiebreaker situation is with Tulsa. Um, we we own the tiebreaker tiebreaker with Tulsa. All right, let me look at Tulsa's schedule real quick here. <clears throat> let's say you win your two games. All right, let's say that you're the two seed then, because Tulsa has to close at Temple and at Wichita State. It's it's unlikely it's going to win both of those. You know, I think it's more likely Houston wins its final. I mean, Cincinnati wins its final two versus Tulsa winning its final two to be uh, right behind Houston. 
And then, you know, Houston at UConn, home to Memphis. I'm just going to give Houston the one seed. So let's give you the two seed after winning the next two games. That puts you at 20 and 10. Obviously, the amount of wins you have is not relevant. Getting the 20 is not some special number. If you're the two seed, you guys would know this. I don't know the, I don't know the bracket format off the top of my head. So if, if Cincinnati is the two seed, it would have its first game in the quarters of the conference tournament. Is that correct? Uh, yes. Correct. Okay. So the first team you'd play is the seven. So let's just get hypothetical here because I love to get the hypotheticals with this. <laughs> so let's say that either Temple or UConn, a win over Temple or UConn is still not going to be enough. At that point, you're 21. Yeah, you're at 18 now. You're 21 and 10. You win that. You play the three. Call it Tulsa in that event. Tulsa is not an NCAA tournament team. Um, you already have one win over it. There is, there is certainly a case with four more wins. I think there's a good case that you could get there. Right now, Cincinnati's combined road neutral. Let me see this. So right now, hmm, interesting. Six and eight combined road neutral. Another road win gets you to seven and eight, and then you're eight and eight. You're nine and eight. You combined above five hundred there. That would be good. You'd get two more quad one wins in that instance, which is good. The the losses are really what's hurting you. But I do again, nothing happens in a vacuum. But if you were to win four more, losing the title game to Houston, hmm, I, I think you'd have a healthy chance. I don't. I would definitely not call you a lock, but I don't think your chances would be DOA either. Uh, but if you don't get to the tournament, and, and let's say you win your next three, but you lose in the you lose in the semis, um, it's just a primary example of if you're a Cincinnati, you just you can afford one loss, but you can't lose to. Bowling Green and Colgate, and you had another bad one. UCF. In there. You lost- UCF was the recent loss. We had about seven yeah, games UC- remaining on the schedule where we, we broke it down. We saw it as a six and one finish, and it really there was an easy roadmap to get there. The loss was at Houston in our minds, uh, but that UCF loss at home late in the season, on top of the Colgate Bowling Green performances that you mentioned before, that really felt like a dagger at the time. Um, it's going to now take quite a run, I think, to to really feel safe. Come selection Sunday. Oh, that Bowl Green yes. game, Bowling Green yeah. game, still leaves me nightmares. I went down to St. Thomas for that game, and it was just, oh, brutal. <laughs> yeah. So that was a that, yeah interesting stretch there because you lost that in OT, and then you won your next two in OT against two teams that aren't going to make the tournament either. There, and obviously for, I mean, I'm I know I'm speaking to a crowd that's well aware of this, but, um, you know, but. I don't know how the fan base on the whole felt with Cronin. Uh, I would hope that it was fairly uh, happy because this season could be just a quick whiplash reminder of how good you had it when you're making the tournament year after year. I think it was nine straight. And I know that there was only one Sweet 16 run involved in that. And you wanted more success once you got to March. And it's something I talked about with Mick Cronin probably five times in the previous five seasons. (laughs) But if you don't get there... uh, it's just it is a cold reality to fans of all but really even maybe five programs. Look at North Carolina this season uh, where the making the tournament on a yearly basis is not a birthright. And it had basically become that with Mick um, in that tenure in his era once he got it going. 
And so it's 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 a brief little rough run here. But that said, it's you're not DOA. Like you can win the league tournament, by the way, too. That, yes. That's definitely something on the table. So, yes. um, so yeah. Anyway, with you with you bringing up Mick Cronin though, so while while it's mentioned, since <laughs> it's you brought hot. up the topic, um, that style of play, you know, a style of play that really slows it down, that puts all the emphasis on defense, that plays a style of offense that wants to is so desperate to reduce turnovers that it's not ultra creative it doesn't demand a lot of of point guards is that a style of offense and a style of play that you think can succeed in the tournament consistently i mean we just saw virginia win the national championship now it had what we came to learn were three nba picks on the roster yes and we'll see it you know we'll see if kyle guy can actually stick in the league or not um but yes it certainly can the only reason why it's more difficult to state the obvious is when you reduce the amount of possessions in a game, you are reducing the amount of opportunities you have to win big, and you are increasing the potential for you to be caught in two, four, six-point games. So the rubber band doesn't have as much elasticity to it, and with that, you are more likely to take on a loss, particularly when there is an up... The environment you're in gets pressurized in a way that it just doesn't on February 3rd. So... That's why it can be tougher, but it's not as though it can't happen. What Cronin was able to do, despite a lack of getting top 75 talent, which is also, you know, it's his charge as a coach to be able to do that. But in spite of not doing that, it was also impressive there. Um, so I, I get all that. And now, and, now, and now you look at UCLA, and, and they're projected to be in the tournament right now. We'll see if they get there. they got to win at USC. <laughs> it's an Cincinnati amazing fan- run. It's an amazing run that what, what it's, Mick Cronin's it's, it's doing right now. I, I don't know if there have been three teams in the past 20 years that have had a midseason turnaround like this in all of college basketball, at least at the major conference level. It's practically unheard of. Yeah, I think Cronin with Cincinnati. Cronin, Cronin really was it's a it was a love hate relationship. You mentioned it. We love going to the tournament nine straight years. This year, I, I we were just talking about this before you hopped on. It's so weird being in the position of wondering where we are on the bubble. We haven't had bubble talk in six or seven years. It's just been, we know we're going to be an eight seed, a nine seed, a 10 seed. We had a two seed thrown in there. So Cronin, it was that love-hate relationship because he always got us there. The style of play wasn't as exciting as, as fans had hoped. But then at, at the other, other side of it too, he wasn't really, you know, he made the one sweet 16 early in that, early in that run. And we even went, I think, went to the finals of the Big East tournament one year as well, which was exciting. So I'm happy to see he's doing well, though. I don't think fans around Cincinnati, you know, wish ill will towards Mick Cronin. He's he's definitely, uh, definitely, like you said, having that big turnaround. One of the things that UC fans also like to talk about obsessively now that we're we're on the we're on the bubble are the net rankings. How much emphasis should people put on those metrics? Well, plural or just specific to the net? Let's say net, just net specific. specific to the net. I'm glad you asked um, because I've been having just a few conversations here and there uh, with people, uh, frankly, that are in, in that room. And a lot of the stuff is, uh, you know, stuff acquired on background and nothing is team specific. But so it's only year two of the net. They didn't change. We don't know how it's comprised. <coughs> Excuse me for the cough. And unfortunately, I suspect we will never know how it's comprised, and there's a few reasons for that. Uh, we don't know how Ken Palm is comprised. It is proprietary, and the net is proprietary for the NCAA. It also doesn't want to—whereas the RPI, we knew it, 
but its simplicity was its fatal flaw, and it was it should have been killed off 15 years before it officially was. Um, when the net has some predictive elements in it, uh, and it has you know a team of Google, whatever you want to refer to them as, engineers or math wizards or whatever that are that are building it, and the NCAA is basically checking how they're building it, looking at the results, and saying we're good with what these are yielding. Um, there's always going to be room to criticize the net. What Cincinnati fans need to keep in mind, and UCLA will probably be the example of this if UCLA wins at USC and then gets one more win in the Pac-12 tournament, I think that's going to be enough to get UCLA into the the NCAAs. Um, Where you are in the net is not something that will correlate exactly to how you get seated or if you get picked into the field. Okay. And, and this is something that's been told to me. It was told to me last season. It's been told to me uh, this season as recently as the past few days, the net was created and it's publicly available for daily tracking, but, but it is not, it's, it's purpose is so that when you get to really Thursday before the bracket comes out. We're talking four days before the committee will meet and start convening and getting its act together and, and doing the teams and, and, and putting the first batch of teams in on Wednesday before the tournament. But that's when they want the net to be, make sure that it's doing what it needs to be done for a quick example. We're recording this in the midst of Duke about to pull off a win against NC state, but Duke has uh, had some issues as of late and it's not dropping in the net. It's staying at six. It's lost three of its past four. It's making the net an easy object of criticism. And that's fine, and I think that's even fair to an extent. But it also shows how the net is more predictive than I think the NCAA has been willing to state publicly or its committee members and all that stuff. But they don't care right now. If Duke loses to Carolina to wrap the regular season and loses in the ACC semis, and you get to the Thursday or Friday before Selection Sunday, and by then, with even more games, a wider sample size by a factor of hundreds between now and then you will have Duke say at, you know, maybe 13 in that spot. And 13 is going to make a lot more sense then with what I just laid out than necessarily six does in the here and the now. So for Cincinnati fans, don't get caught up in the net because you're like what? 53 or something like that. As we record this, Um, if you wind up at 55, that doesn't mean that, okay, so there's 36 automatic bids. You got to figure that there's another, you know, so there's 32, uh, 30, 36 at largest, 32 automatics. Like, that's right near the cut line. That's not how it's going to be. They're going to be looking at all of the metrics, what they provide, and particularly if there are outliers for better or for worse. So if you've got a team that is 28 in one metric and between 38 and 51 in all the others, then there's going to be more stock put into all the others than just that one, generally speaking. So it's something to track. It's something to keep note of, but the net is also more about, it says more about the teams that you've played as opposed to just purely how good you are. They will rely on the predictive metrics like Ken Palm, BPI, and Sagarin to help show how good you are because predictive metrics have empirically proven to be more accurate, engaging team strength, whereas the net is aiming to be there with KPI and strength of record to show what you've accomplished and what you've accomplished and what, how good you are is the 
imperfect alchemy to them getting to the 36 best teams they want to put in the tournament. That was a excellent explanation of that. And I knew last night that Net had completely, it had hit the mainstream in terms of criticism when Scott Van Pelt made it his one big thing of the night because his Maryland Terrapins unfortunately saw a big dip after a tough home loss to Michigan State, I believe, whereas Duke, yeah. like you just said, I think they lost you know, two or three, three or four, something like that, um, and, they, and they somehow maintained their place at, at six. So what you're saying is, to put, it, to put it simply, worry about the net and take a look at the net when the season's over. Yes, put your most stock and energy and worry into the net like the Thursday and Friday before Selection Sunday. Yes. So do you have any theories, Matt, as to why college basketball is so all over the place this year and nobody actually feels confident in any teams and that there's really not, you know, in terms of filling out a bracket and putting your money on a certain team, it's tough this year. Do you have any theories as to why that is? Well, I disagree with it because Kansas is, and I don't, we had this a year ago, Duke was the number one team across all metrics at the start of March. And because they had a superstar that was acknowledged, Kansas has two of the eight best players in America and you can't find one metric that has any sort of mainstream appeal. I'm, I'm talking even beyond the six that are on the team sheets uh, that doesn't have Kansas number one and number one comfortably. So, Hang on. You um, trust Bill Self? You trust Bill Self? Do I trust the guy who has won uh, at, at, at a top three win percentage over the past 15 years? <laughs> yeah. What? Uh, yeah. I don't – I just hey, – He's one of these coaches. He's, he's got Winning one of the most. Games at the NCAA tournament is extremely difficult to do, and Mike Shashevsky has won a national title. But in the, outside of the year of the past decade, when he did that, take a look at the exits that his teams made, and he's arguably the greatest coach of all time. Okay, so so Kansas is the unanimous, the the, the no doubt favorite to win the tournament this year is what I'm hearing. That is correct. Doesn't yeah. mean it'll happen. I, I personally, and it could definitely be a bias. I know they have talented teams. They're def- they win the Big 12 every year, which is impressive in itself. Bill Self just seems to have a, have a knack for taking a team that is immensely talented, has one of the best seedings in the tournament, and finding a way to lose early. It's just, but that it, it, is the curse that comes with getting a number one or number two seed every single season. But if you actually look at the data, if you look at how Kansas has done in the tournament – since Bill Self got there and you go to seed expectation, and by seed expectation, it's not that hard of a concept to figure out. If you're a one seed, you should make the final four. And if you get to a title game, you've exceeded it. If you are a 16, you're not supposed to get to the second round. If you're a nine seed, you're not supposed to get to the second round. If you're a five seed, you're not even supposed to make the Sweet 16. You're supposed to lose the four in the second round. Bill Self's Kansas teams have exceeded seed expectation in his tenure there. But because they're a one and two every single season and they don't make the final four every single season, that's why that reputation persists. Matt, that's why you're the leader of the cult of Norlander. I, I'm, I, I'm so apologetic to bring facts into this argument. I'm sorry. <laughs> um, do you have a, a kind of off-the-beaten-path team that you could see winning the title this season? And let's say off-the-beaten-path is in maybe projected six, seven plus seed? Mm. Good question. Um, Is it the Bearcats? I do. I'm trying to, give you, trying to give you the lowest possible team that I truthfully think can make the top. How about make the title game? Um, man, when I look out there, and I'm going to go based off of like 
AP poll rankings right now. I like because for example, like Auburn is twenty four and five and is thirty seventh at Ken Palm, but that's a function of it having small win percentages. <laughs> Auburn is twenty four and five and easily could be twenty and nine easily. Um, I'd say, man. I think that the most likely team to make the title game, you know who I actually think, um, I want to say Houston. Oh, I, like uh, I, I don't mean to twist a knife, but uh, Houston. No, they or, look good. <laughs> yeah. They defend I mean, well. They, they have like, good guard play. They're big. They rebound the ball extremely well. I was blown away good. both times we played Houston. In fact, the first time I was, I was stunned we pulled off the victory because they were so dominant physically in that first half, and they did the exact same thing in the second game to us. Yeah, I, I almost feel like they're even too highly rated to put them in there. If I could go someone even lower, uh, um, I uh, maybe Oregon, but they're pretty high profile. Um, but yeah, they're, uh, obviously it can happen, but I'm not seeing... And really, if we get to the tournament, we notice this is the case. Like... Everyone, I, I, this is actually an inevitability, but everyone talking about how it's such a topsy-turvy year. There are no great teams. You just watch. Go ahead. Join your local pool of 15 people or 30 people or 45 people. And the only teams you're going to have people picking to win it all are Kansas, Baylor, Gonzaga, Duke, maybe a little Dayton Love, maybe Michigan State or Maryland. And that's going to be it. You maybe maybe you get a Nova or Seton Hall in there too. Like, but general public, like that's that's going to be it. You know, there are going to be no other teams picked to win it. Um, and that's it's the same size of of teams that we have this season that we have in most seasons. So speaking of the the sleepers, what is one team that is projected on the one the one seed that you would sell? Um, so you got Kansas, Baylor, Gonzaga, San Diego State. The only one I can sell is San Diego State, and I'm not even big on selling them at this point. Um, but they have to be the pick here because they are the lowest rated of the four, and uh, the loss was a bit vexing. Now, Baylor had a, also a vexing loss, but it was on the road at least at TCU, who's not that that good. Um, yeah, I, I would I would say San Diego State, so I'm not uncommon in that. But, uh, I mean, we'll see when we get there 13 days from now when we're staring at a bracket. I can't envision myself picking San Diego State to lose before the Sweet 16. If we went to the two line, so right now you'd have Dayton. What would you have? You have Dayton, Florida State. Maybe uh, a little Kentucky. Ohio State? Are they getting back in that conversation? They're not, they're not that high. Not quite. Uh, Kentucky's not on the two line yet. Um I actually don't look at bracketologies because um, it's just like if it enters into my field division or my general consciousness while people talk about it, that's fine. But I never look at bracketologies because um, they change so much. But I also like to form my own and I don't like I don't like outside influencers to try and figure out. So I'd say right now, Dayton. Oh, man, Louisville took that loss. This is actually tough. So yeah, Dayton. Really Duke. I don't I mean Duke took losses too. It's really tough to to see who's going to be too. Maybe. And uh, Florida State uh, took that loss, but I still have FSU there, I think. And then, uh, I mean, those those three Big East teams, Creighton, Nova, Seton Hall, are all jammed. But of those that we all just mentioned, Duke would be my biggest sell. Yeah. My biggest buy would be 
Dayton. I'm so in on Dayton, man. They're really, really, really good. Really good. Just crazy good. Um, and I think Dayton can win the national championship. I don't know if I'll have the guts to do it, but I, I will. I will be damn tempted if they get to Selection Sunday and still only have two losses. And if they if they get to Selection Sunday, still only have two losses, and Gonzaga or San Diego State loses one more time in between now and then, I would I would fight for Dayton to be on the one line there because the overall collective body of work I think would warrant it. Funny thing about Dayton is that the Bearcats actually played them in a secret scrimmage before the season. These secret scrimmages, typically you hear some rumor about what the actual results were. We never heard that. We never heard what happened. And I have a good feeling as to why that is now, after watching them play a full season. <laughs> um, so, Matt, it's... Certainly, yeah. Uh, certainly might be the case. I, by the way, Gush, going through who the potential two seeds are, to me, is an indicator as to why we should be expecting a crazy march. Because I, most of those teams we just said there, easy to see them losing early. Not a lot of faith I'd put in, in who's going to actually be there. It was hard to even come up with a list of teams that seemed to deserve a two seed. But you're right about Kansas. I'll give you Kansas. Well, that's a good little fair trade-off. I dig it. So, Matt, have you ever been to Cincinnati before? I have not. Oh. I have never been, and I'd certainly like to go. Just I, there has not been that confluence of events where I would like be writing a feature that would br- bring me out there, or um, there would just be a team that was appealing enough to get me there. But little by little, every season, I get to knock off two or three venues and schools that I haven't covered for a game and whether it is Cincinnati or, yeah, I'm going to say it right here. Just prepare yourselves. No. Savior. No. Yeah, whether it's one of those two schools. No. I do hope eventually to, uh, to get out there and check, and check I, out the city. I think John Brandon is going to force you to come out here with the team he's going to build here soon. We have lots of faith in what he's building here at Cincinnati. Lots of exciting recruits coming in, and we really do appreciate and love the style of play he's trying to implement. Matt, I appreciate your time today. Before we let you go... We know music yep. is, a, is a passion of yours, a side hobby, and we wanted to hit you with the music speed round of questions. Do you mind? Oh, uh, let's, let's do it, yes. All right. First question. The, Go ahead, This Hummer. one's controversial. Country grammar or get rich and die, and try, or die trying? I have never listened to either album in full, but if I had to check, pick between the two, it would be country grammar. Good answer. Nice. All right, Great answer. a little a little easier for you to answer. Your favorite <laughs> album of the last five years? Uh, uh, Currents by Tame Impala. I love it. New it's Tame Impala, solid. It's not the same. Not it's not as good. It's not as good as Currents. Right. I had a feeling you were a, for a Tame Impala guy. If you were driving and turned on your Spotify or Apple Music right now, what song or artist would come on? How about I check my phone here? Um, now, I will say this. Because at this time of the year, like I'm, I'm doing podcasts and working the I, from like February 15th until the two days after the final four. I this is uh, unfortunately I go dark with music. Um, not entirely, but the last the last thing I played, you can actually show. So I use I use Apple Music Prime Unlimited, just so you know. I find that to be a superior service to Spotify. Um, the last song I played, hold on, it's not even showing me. Why aren't you showing me? Well, no, actually, the last thing I played here was uh, self-titled Rage Against the Machine album. That was uh, that was eight days ago. So there you go. What would be? Are, are you are you working out? What are you doing while listening to Rage? 
Uh, when I, <laughs> what aren't I doing? Uh, no, when I listened to, Ra- I was actually playing it around the house while I was like, my wife and kids were both out of the house. All of them were out of the house. So I had an opportunity to put it on the Bluetooth little, uh, little speaker there. And I was just like getting some cleaning done. Why not? You know? And plus I was, I was let down that I didn't get rage tickets for their tour this year. So I was like, well, I'll just play them anyway. With run the jewels opening too. Really just top notch stuff. I, I figured you might have been listening to it when uh, the Bearcats blew your preseason prediction of winning the American Athletic. Uh, but that, I guess that was too soon. A little too soon. <laughs> Last question, Hummer. All right, if you're stuck on an island and you can only have the music catalog for one musician or band, who do you choose? You're not going to like the answer. But the heart wants what it wants. It knows what it knows. And we all are influenced at a certain time in our lives by certain artists and my all-time favorite artist is dave matthews band so because i have i've been to uh, like 92 shows and i have legitimately probably like 130 different live shows plus all the studio work there's just the most variety there that would be my honest answer a lot of people probably wouldn't be honest with what they're what they give you but that it would be my honest answer there plus uh you know, the the songs are fun and challenging to play on the guitar. I hope you're going to allow me to bring a guitar onto this island if I got to do that. Um, so, yeah, that, uh, that is my pick. What would be your picks, gentlemen, respectively? What would you have? I told Coomer <laughs> before we got on that I would not be ready to answer this. It's time to step up and answer it. Oh, uh for me, oh, it's going to sound terrible because I just loved her last two albums, and it's going to be just terrible. But I'll admit it, Taylor Swift. All right, there's no, there's listen. A buddy of mine got married two and a half years ago, and what did he make me learn? Um, You're in your room with a typical Tuesday. It was an early song of hers. Uh, how was it called? You belong with me. I think it's called. Yes. <laughs> yeah, I, I legit learned that and sung that at a wedding. So it's all good, man. <laughs> yeah, I told him I wasn't prepared to admit that. <laughs> can I Can I just go with the... If we're all being honest here, and I appreciate everyone's honesty, can I just go with a like an, an all-time Broadway playlist? Can I, just, can I just have that? Can I have Broadway plays? Of course. I was, a, I was a theater major before I switched to journalism, so I'm all about that, man. You know, I like singing and performing music when I listen to it. And if, if, if I'm truly wanting to, to derive pleasure from this on an island and keep myself sane, I think that's the catalog I'd choose. <laughs> we went to Nashville for, the, for a buddy's bachelor party two years ago, and it just so happened the cats were playing, and we had that terrible meltdown against Nevada. We go out to karaoke, and Coomer just straight slays. We're all just standing around like, we did not know Coomer could hit a note. <laughs> like Matt said, the heart, the heart knows what it knows. Matt, I appreciate you joining the podcast today. Can you leave the Bearcat, Bearcats fans with you know, a parting shot just as to why we need to keep the faith and why we should be hopeful about uh, not just making the tournament but actually feeling good about going on a potential run? Sure. A quick parting thought here. Um, there have been... First of all, you have a guy on the roster where if he's motivated in the right place, he's capable of taking over a game. That is big, and I think you have enough still good individual defensive pieces where you have the opportunity. 
but it is absolutely pivotal that you are able to find ways in the first halves of games to take these teams that you're better than and create separation because even some of the wins and I saw the win, I remember watching the win against Houston and I remember watching the next game. I think it was the next game because you played at Wichita state. I remember watching that in my office where I talk to you right now and they're just, they, they, they tend to be these close games. You like Auburn, another team that can't avoid overtime games. Um, the separation is key. I know you've won some and you've lost some, but it just it, it seems like you might lack the overall talent to be able to sustain playing in so many close games. So when you go to South Florida, when you play against Temple, these are the games that you need to be winning by a minimum of eight or nine points there. Because if you find yourself in a four point game with a minute and a half to go, uh, then that's obviously danger to town there. So you got to avoid that. But there is the potential because you got Cumberland still. We'll see how the roster looks next season, how things change um, once you have a number of seniors that leave this that leave this team. But you're there, and you've got you've got spoiler potential. I do. I'm not running from what I thought in in the early season, but uh, it just seems like the the floor and the ceiling is a wide gap for the Bearcats this season, and that can be a good thing or it can be a really bad thing. Here, here, Matt. We appreciate it, sir. And, and just as a little point, as a little tip for you from uh, from a Cincinnati Bearcat podcast, Tari Eason. Keep an eye on him for next season. Incoming freshman, not too high on the radar at this point. It's going to be extremely, extremely good. Fellas, I appreciate you having me on. Good luck here the rest of the month, and uh, enjoy the hoops while we got it, because once the season's over, it's always been my take that the college basketball offseason is the longest of any of the major American sports. So, so, is. so is. Appreciate it, Matt. Thank you, sir. Thank you. Thank you, guys.